Good morning. So we're going to start today with a um, country and western song, and I uh, hope you uh, enjoy it. You can tap your foot to it. it. How many have heard of the baptism of Jesse Taylor? Anybody that ring a bell? Okay. Well, we'll sing that. Or not, we're not going to sing it. We'll let them. We'll let the quartet sing it, and. Uh, you can enjoy it. But I thought that the words were appropriate. Once I was foolish, and so it talks about a man who is a uh, drunken, carousing, brawling sinner that God saved by grace, and uh, he was baptized. He was obviously saved first and then baptized. And uh, anyway, I'll let the song speak for itself, and then we'll go. Among the local taverns, there'll be a slack in business. Cause Jesse's drinking came before the groceries and the rent Among the local women there'll be a slack and cheating Cause Jesse won't be stepping out again They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday Jesus came to soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah when Jesse's head went under. Cause this time he went under for the Lord. The scars on Jesse's knuckles are more than just respected. County courthouse records tell all there is to tell. The pockets of the gamblers will soon miss Jesse's money, and the black eye of the law will soon be well. They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus gained the soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah when Jesse's head went under. Cause this time he went under for the Just how Jesse took up with little Jim. Now Jimmy's got a daddy and Jesse's got a family. And Franklin County's got a lot more men. They baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus gave the soul and Satan lost the good.
Now if we could only sing like that, huh? Jesse Taylor, of course, is a fictional character, but uh, when you reflect on your life, do you see yourself in this song? Do you see your life? Look back at your life before you knew the Lord, before you were saved, and can you agree with the hymn writer who said, all these once were sinners, defiled in his sight, now arrayed in pure garments, in praise they unite. Unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin, unto him be the glory forever. Amen. All right. I remember some years ago I was in the uh, discipleship intern training program, and each morning we would gather together, and one of the uh, students would give a devotional that morning. He would take a verse and then expand on the verse, and they were very typical uh, each morning. <clears throat> um, very few of those devotionals stand out in my mind, but there is one that I have never forgotten. Uh, one of my classmates gave a devotional one day, and for his devotional, all he did from beginning to end was quote scripture. That's all he did. And yet it was the most powerful devotional we had that year. And he decided that what he would do is start off with uh, looking at us as sinners. And so he took verses of scripture that that describe for us that our sin and our, and our uh, position before God. And so he started with something like this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he went to another verse similar, and then he kept going and would reach a verse like this, their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And he's talking about us. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And he read verse after verse after verse like this of our sinful condition, how we are sinful, debased, desolate, apart from God. And each verse was like another dagger in our, in our hearts as we sat there listening to him. That morning, and at the end of, I mean, with each verse, we just kept feeling more and more filthy uh, before the Lord. And then he paused, he, he stopped. And then he looked at each one of us in our eyes individually. And he went around the whole room one by one. And as he looked at us, as he looked at me, I thought, man, he's looking at my heart. He sees the blackness of my heart. And as he looked at us, it was silent. And we all sat there and we remembered what we were like before the Lord. We remembered who we were. We remembered what we had done. We remembered where we had been. And then he just sighed and he said this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. There wasn't a dry eye in that room. When I look in the mirror at the man who is my reflection, I think back at my life and I think, wow, where have I been? 
What have I done? And I read that now I am a son of God, a child of the King. And I think to myself, it just brings me to my knees and I cry out in thanks to God. Hallelujah, what a Savior that he should save a wretch like me. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I've told you many times before that I have this very good habit of going to the end of a story first to see how it concludes. And that determines whether or not I want to read the rest of the story from the beginning. Well, I'm going to do the same thing today for you because the ending is much better than the beginning. And so Ephesians chapter 2, our passage this morning is verses 1 through 10. And I want to start with verse 10. And it's, Paul says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. This is the Robertson Revised Edition, or the Paraphrased Edition. And I'm going to take not just what it says here, but what we've looked at so far in Ephesians. And I want to incorporate it into the, what Paul is addressing here. And this is what it is. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ to accomplish some amazing things in your life. Uh, and it is for this reason He created you. You have been chosen by God to represent Jesus Christ on earth through your good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He has prepared everything necessary for you to accomplish His purposes during your lifetime. You are His hands. You are His feet. You are His eyes of compassion. You are His tongue. You are his heart. You are God's masterpiece that He will display for all eternity to show all of the angels and to show all of creation the exceeding riches of His grace towards you and to show how He could take such unlikely raw materials and form them in such a way that He will be glorified through your life. Now that's the revised edition, I understand. And you might be saying, hey, preacher, you must be talking about somebody completely different than me. For if you knew my life, and if you knew what I had done, and if you knew, if you knew where I had been, there is no way God could use me. But I am talking about you. And there is more glory for God in taking the worst of sinners and transforming them and transforming their lives to glorify Him. <clears throat> so, that's the end of the story. You. You are on display in the art gallery of God in heaven. And as the masterpiece of God's collection. And there you are on display to prove the exceeding riches of God's grace in taking such unlikely, unpromising, unholy people and using them to accomplish His purposes on earth. That's what God is doing in you. That's what God is doing in your life right now. So let's go back to the beginning. 
And let's take a look at the raw materials with which he began his masterpiece. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's go back in our study for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 1. We don't have to turn there. But if you remember, Paul explains God's eternal plan. His desire to save sinners. And he, he formed this plan before there was ever a world, before the creation ever began. Because it says, he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. That he predestined us to be sons. And that Christ will be the head of the church. And his dominion will be over all things in heaven and, all, and on the earth. And then the end of chapter 1, Paul prays. Lord, please help them understand this. That's really what he's saying. Please help them understand this. It is so wonderful. It is so glorious. I couldn't even stop my 17-verse sentence. <laughs> Please help them understand this. In Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul then now explains how God accomplishes his plan. He takes sinners and makes them saints. He takes the dead and makes them alive. He takes the most unlikely raw materials and makes treasures fit for heaven. Well, Paul takes up his pen again, and <clears throat> this time it's only seven verses long, but that's one sentence, chapter 2, 1 through 7, one sentence. And the subject of this long sentence is God. Every good sentence has to have a subject. God is the subject, with a focus on what God has done. The object is me. The object is you. The object is us, believers, with a focus on what God has done for us. And then there are three main verbs that tell us what he did for us. First, he made us alive. Second, he raised us up. And third, he made us sit. And we'll talk about those three as we go here. So Paul is about to tell you that you are one of God's masterpieces. A masterpiece, of course, is, is a work that is considered to be the ultimate uh, work of an artist or of a, of a uh, person in arts or something like that, a musician even. Um, it's considered one of the greatest works of a person's creativity, their skill, their workmanship. And when we think of God and his creative acts, many people would say, 
that God's masterpiece is actually creation itself. Just think of the world. Just think of the stars and the heaven and all the rest of it. That's God's masterpiece. Well, certainly the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. The Scripture says that. That's not the masterpiece of God. Well, some would say, well, but if you look at a specific part of creation, you know, like Half Dome or El Capitan or something like that, those rocks, that's the masterpiece of God. And I'll tell you, those stones don't compare to the masterpiece we're talking about this morning. But the rocks hardly compare to our subject. Some would say that the masterpiece, no, you have to look at the human being and just think of the human body and, and the, the, the beauty and the, the functions of the human body. That's the masterpiece of God. Just think of the human eye, and Sharon could tell you all about it. You know, how the rods do their thing, and there's, you, can, you can see uh, distance and color and depth and all of these things, all from that one little thing right there, that little globe. That's a scientific uh, explanation of it, by the way. And no matter where you turn to the vastness of telescopic space or you turn to the wonders of the microscopic world, all of these things are great. Don't get me wrong. God is a master at all that he does. But the work for which God will be remembered and praised for all eternity is the masterpiece called you. You. For we read in Ephesians 2.7 that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's His masterpiece. And you will be on display for all eternity as a masterpiece of God's amazing grace and as proof that God can use the most unlikely raw materials and pour out His love and grace upon you and make you a child of God. That's what this chapter is all about. So let's go back to the raw materials. Um, Daniel, somewhere back there, is now a pen maker. And Daniel is very careful in selecting the raw materials that he works with so that his pens turn out just fine. He doesn't want any wood with cracks or splits in it because then you would have a split cracked pen and they don't sell very well. So he wants the best um, material to begin with. But God did not choose the best material to begin with. He chose us. And uh, it says in the scripture that he did not choose many wise people or many strong people or very many noble people. Instead, he chose the foolish, the based, the despised, the nobodies. God chose you and me. And it says here, verse 1, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. God intended to use you as the raw materials for His masterpiece. But this is how He found you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, you were physically alive, of course, but you were dead spiritually. The Bible speaks about three types of death. And everywhere that death is used in the Scripture, death simply means a separation. So, my sister passed away two weeks ago. And uh, as I went up to visit her, she was very much alive. But just a few short days later, her body was still there. But she was no longer there. Something had taken place. It's called death. And it is a separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. 
That's physical death. We're very familiar with it. That's not what he's talking about here because the people were very much alive. And it says that they were actively involved in sin. So they had to be alive for that. The Bible also talks about spiritual death. And so again, think of the definition. If death is always a separation, then spiritual death is a separation of people from God. We were born dead to God. We, were, we did not have life in God. We did not have a relationship with God. We were separated from Him because of our sin. The, that's spiritual death. Unsaved people are alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. And that's the condition that God found us in. The final form of death in the Scripture is actually called the second death. And it is referred to in Revelation, and it means the lake of fire. And so when a person who is alive physically dies, they're physically dead. But if they also die in a condition where they're spiritually dead, they don't have a relationship with God, they experience the final death, and that is separation from God for all eternity. And there's no second chance. There's no coming back. And the lake of fire is what is described as the second death in Revelation. This is where unsaved people spend eternally. They are eternally separated from God because of their sins. But this verse says, and you he made alive. And so he has to be talking about not physical life because we already had that. He's talking about spiritual life. You he made alive. Now, you are the raw materials of God's masterpiece, and He found you dead in your trespasses and sins. Your sins killed you as far as your relationship with God is concerned. You were created to glorify God, to bring Him honor, to bring Him praise, and you totally missed the mark. You were created to fulfill His purposes, and you did your own thing. You all went astray. We all went astray. And uh, the three things that, were, that are now our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, those three things were our best friends. And we enjoyed their company in our life. You were in love with these things, and you hated God and the things of God. Verse one, the end of verse 1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You once walked according to the course of this world. What is the world? Here it does not refer to the planet Earth. Here it refers to the world system. The world system, what is that? Well, the world system is, a, um, is an attempt to take human beings and make them happy apart from God. Anything that you're involved in or anything that people are involved in that keeps their mind off of God is the world system. That's what it is. And it could be the media, entertainment, TV, movie, music, education, pursuit of riches or fame, fortune, thrills, whatever it is. And it's all different for everybody. Some people say, oh, education, forget that. That'll never attract me, you know. And others, you know, that's their life. And Satan doesn't, doesn't care at all what it is that you're attracted to as long as you're not attracted to God. That's the main thing. And this world system is controlled by Satan. He could care less what you pursue as long as you don't pursue God. 
That's the course of this world that Paul is talking about. Jeremiah describes it this way. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And people can go to these cisterns, these wells, and try to drink from them, and they may quench their thirst temporarily, but they're broken, and they will come back again, and they won't satisfy ever. People spend a lifetime pursuing their dreams, you know, the American dream or some other dream. And at the end of their lives, they have to agree with Solomon uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes where he says, all is vanity. I've pursued it all and none of it satisfies. It's empty. It's empty. And the world system is not designed to satisfy. It's designed to make you want more. It's kind of like fast food, you know? They put so much salt in it that you're never satisfied. You always have to have another drink of you know, soda. And the soda's got so much salt in it, you have to keep drinking more. You never get satisfied. And that's the world system. And the world system has a leader. And the, and the leader is Satan himself. The unsaved follows Satan, who is described here as the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. He is in control of the anti-God movement that exists in our world today. God has given no credit for creation. No. Who gets credit? Evolution. God has given no credit for His kindness. Who's given credit? It's chance or coincidence. God has given no credit for His gifts. No, you're just lucky. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of all who follow Him. And it means that every, every unsaved person is blinded by Satan. Satan is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Basically, it means this, that this, the unsaved are energized by Satan. They follow his demonic um, leadership and they're quite happy to do so. And then the world squeezes you into its mold. It wants you to conform to its thought patterns, its ways, its practices. And uh, the more it gets you to do so, it's quite happy. And it includes every form of selfishness, rebellion, violence, immorality, and lies. These are the sins of our time. Uh, a world of depravity led by the chief of evil spirits, the devil himself. You know, Jesus said an interesting thing about the devil that his purpose is to kill and to destroy. He doesn't care how he does it, but as long as he can ultimately make you distracted from God for your life and then ultimately kill and destroy you, he's one. He's one. And all of the unsaved people are conformed to this mold. Whatever the latest fad is, that's what we follow. And all of us were like that. We fulfilled every lust of the flesh. Whatever our minds thought, we pursued. We gave into every sensual appetite uh, before us. And as a result, we showed ourselves to be, by nature, children of wrath. And then if you take a look at the Old Testament and you look at the commandments of God, we broke every commandment in the book. We did not love God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our being. We had idols in our lives. 
We misuse the name of God even with simple sayings like OMG. What does that stand for? Oh my God. Okay? People use it so flippantly today. And geez, you know, they're abusing his name. They're taking his name in vain, using it in a light way. We dishonored our parents. We hated. We murdered. We lusted. We committed immorality. We stole. We lied. We coveted. We took. We were never satisfied with what we had. And every one of those sins... And every time we sinned one of those sins, the death penalty was attached. And we kept accumulating death penalty after death penalty after death penalty. And we begin to calculate how many sins we commit each day. And how many hundreds of sins each week. And how many millions of sins we have committed in our lifetime. And each one has the penalty of death. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were ripe for the wrath of God. And then we read this amazing verse, the two verses in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 4. That's the condition that God found us in, the raw materials. And then it says, but God. <laughs> I love that. We've talked about this before. Just do a study on the but God in the scripture. But it's a change, it's a contrast, it's a 180. But God stepped in and everything changed. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul exclaims, by grace you have been saved. What is grace? It is God's undeserved favor. If anybody did not deserve the favor of God, it was me. It was you. By grace you have been saved. You were the raw materials God chose in order to make His masterpiece. Imagine that. Imagine that. You were dead. He made you alive. You were rebels. He brought you near. You were enemies. He made you His sons. You deserve none of His favor. And He saved you by His grace. God, who is rich in mercy, did this for you. God, whose love is great, loved you greatly. By grace, you have been saved. And to make such raw materials into his masterpiece, he had to deal with the sin issue. He couldn't overlook it. He couldn't ignore it. He had to deal with it. And God loved you so much, the Bible tells us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So His death on the cross was for you. It was to save you from your trespasses and your sins and the penalties that were attached to Him. His death on the cross was for you. And if He was going to make you into the masterpiece of His, the canvas of your life had to be made clean because it was soiled. It was full of dirt and filth of your sin and it had to all be wiped away. And the only cleansing agent that could start with a fresh canvas all over again is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. The fact that He would die for our sins demonstrates the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God all wrapped together in one. The thing that 
made us spiritually dead was our sin. So he dealt with it. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. And he made us alive together in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you he made alive. Now what does this new canvas look like? What does this new fresh start look like? Well, it's found in 1 Corinthians. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You, he made alive. That's the first. But wait, there's more. He raised us up together. He raised us up together. Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but three days later, God raised him from the dead. And the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that he's talking about here that will transform your life and make you his masterpiece. We have been raised to newness of life. It's, it's as if the day we come to know the Lord, we are saved, and then we look at ourselves or look at our uh, own tomb, and we look at, back at the old grave clothes that are lying there, and the things that held us, and the things that bound us um, to this world no longer do. Colossians 3 says this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And since we are raised up, we should be storing up treasures in heaven, for we are traveling on the highway to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we should be setting our mind on things above in heaven. If you are an earthly-minded person, all of your plans end at the grave. But if you're a heavenly-minded person, you are raised with Christ, and our attention should be on the things that are eternal. What are, what are things that are eternal? The Word of God and people. Those are the things that God is interested in. The Word of God and people. People are eternal. He raised us up together. But wait, there's more. Although the song about Jesse Taylor that we heard about is fictional, your story is not. It's real. And it happened to you. You, he made alive. You, he raised up. And finally, you, he made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, your feet are still on the earth. I know that. But your mind should be in heaven. We are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mr. Caterpillar, God has made you a butterfly. You're no longer that worm crawling on the ground, munching on things on the earth, sat, being satisfied with the things on the ground. God has given you wings. Now rise up and fly. Say goodbye to the former Don Robertson. Say goodbye to the former you. You are now God's masterpiece. That In verse 7 we read that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That masterpiece, he began at your salvation 
and it will be completed at the time you get to heaven. It'll be finished. The final brush strokes will be done and you will be um, finished. Paul says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God doesn't put that canvas aside and just leave it alone and say, you know what, I'm through with you. I'm done. It doesn't happen that way. And you know, even believers can fall. It says that actually in the scripture. I think it's in the Proverbs that it says a righteous man will fall seven times. How many of you have fallen more than seven times? Yeah, you don't have to show me really. I know. God is so merciful, so gracious, that even when we fall, he, he bids us come back to Him and He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And those brush strokes begin all over again. Some of you say, well, I've blown it. I've gone astray. How can I ever recover? <laughs> because we're talking about God's work in your life and He's quite capable of doing whatever it takes to make you that masterpiece that He has started. It began with God's grace to you. It continues with His grace day by day. And in heaven, He displays you as His masterpiece, showing the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward you. And one day you will find yourself in heaven. And it will not be, it will not be because of anything that you have done. You were fit for God's wrath. And so was I. And we were storing up wrath for the day of wrath, the Scripture says. We had nothing to offer God. But God made us an offer of salvation. And He offered salvation as a gift. It says in uh, verses 8, verses that probably most of you know by heart, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What could I do to earn heaven? Absolutely nothing. There isn't a work you could do that would make you fit for heaven. And if you spent a lifetime of good works, it would not be enough to get you into heaven. There is nothing you can do to earn heaven. What price could I pay to gain entrance to heaven? Well, there's only one price, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ, and you don't have it. He has it, and He's offering it to you. Heaven is offered on one condition and one condition only. It is by His grace. That means that none of us deserve heaven. That's what it means. We don't deserve heaven. There's not a one of us who does. But God offers heaven to the undeserving. Well, then what do we do to receive it? The same thing you would do if anybody offered you any gift. I've never seen anybody offer me a gift and say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, let me, uh, let, let me pay you for that, can I? It's a gift. If I pay for it, what is it? It's a purchase. You can't purchase salvation. You can't purchase heaven. Salvation is a gift from God. And all he does, he says, I've done all the work. I've paid the full price. I've done everything necessary to make you fit for heaven. Here it is. I'm offering you my salvation. Take it. It's yours. 
That's it. It's that simple. Dorothy, I think it was your uncle that sat there, came out of his, his mental stupor for just a very brief window of time. And he says, is it that simple? Is it that simple? Yes, it's that simple. Why does God make things so simple? It's so that even a child can understand the gospel and believe. It's so that even a person who has Alzheimer's can come to enough to understand the gospel and be saved. It's so that anybody, whether they are rich or they are poor, whether they are young or they are old, it doesn't matter that they can simply receive what Jesus is offering, the gift of salvation. Receive it. You know, really, it's, it's quite simple. The Bible says this, as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. That's God's offer. God does not lie. That's what He says is the way to heaven. It is through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as a gift for your salvation. Have you done that? Do you personally know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you simply reached out your hand and said, Lord, by faith I receive your gift, the gift of your Son who died in my place on Calvary's tree. There's nothing I can add to that gift. There's nothing that I can do to pay for it. I simply, with outstretched arms, receive Him as my Lord and my Savior. Have you done that? If you haven't, would you do that this morning? Trust in Him and be saved. You'll be on your way to being one of God's masterpieces in heaven. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on His name. He offers salvation as a gift. God offers salvation as a gift, and it's a good thing, because then it's open to everyone. We get to heaven not because of our good works, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and there's simply no other way. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So finally we come back to the conclusion, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this verse tells me that you are His masterpiece. God saved us because all along He had a plan for your life, and it included work for us to do, not for salvation, but after salvation. Work for you to do that would bring glory to Him. And He prepared that work before the foundation of the world just for you. He has a work. He has a plan. He has something for you to do that will bring Him glory. I want to propose to you this morning what that work might be in your life. If you're going to be on display in heaven for all eternity as God's masterpiece, then your work must have something to do with God's amazing grace that He has worked in your life and the riches of His grace that He has poured out upon you. So let me illustrate what those works might look like in your life. Suppose you were a thief before you were saved. You know, you'd go to the store and you would steal things. Or you'd go to your... You know, you work the cash register, you know, you slip a 20 in and a 10 in or whatever. Um, with, uh, not you, but I mean the cashiers, they, they got cameras right above them. 
Why do they have cameras right above them? Because I think people used to do that. So, a thief. Do you know what God does with a thief when he's saved? He pours out his grace upon that person, saves him. He makes them a philanthropist. That's the amazing grace of God. He takes a person who was so far that way and he makes them so far that way that he becomes one who just delights in giving and giving and giving. I know he does. We have an example of that in the scripture. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a thief. He was a thief. Little guy. And he had to climb a tree one day to see Jesus. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming to your house today. All right. That day, he was saved. It says that in the scripture. He was saved. And then he, after he was saved, he said, Lord, look, I, have, I give half of my goods to the poor. 50% of everything I own, I'm now going to give to the poor. He was a thief just a minute ago. And the transformation that took place as a result of God's grace working in his life made him a philanthropist. 50% of his income he gave uh, to the poor. And then, he wasn't finished yet. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. That's a lot of money. If you were into drugs and into drinking, you were filled with a spirit, or spirits as they're called, but it was not the Holy Spirit who controlled your life. But then the Lord saved you, and the good works He prepared for you has something to do with being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Your sin might have been the sin of the tongue. This is a nasty creature here. Filthy language, foolish talking, coarse jesting. And God has given you a new tongue. It's amazing that God transforms a person in every part of his body, in every part of his mind, in every... uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, visual hearing and all that. Sense, every sense, yeah. God changes you completely. Now he's going to give you a new tongue. And instead of being like that, filthy talking, foolish talking, coarse jesting, God gives you a new tongue. And the good works God prepared for you will probably have to do with you giving thanks to him for all that he's done for you. Maybe you were a gossip. Ooh. Constantly sharing dirt about other people. And the good work that God has for you probably has something to do with bearing with one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. You know, one of the things that I see about a gossip, this is just kind of an inside here, most gossips are very discerning. Do you know that? They see the problems in other people very, very clearly. And when God saves someone who is a gossip, who, was, who has that kind of discernment, God is opening their eyes up to say, hey, those people still have those problems. Now maybe I can come alongside of them and help them through those problems. So open your eyes. Open your ears. Use your tongue to praise the Lord. Okay? I'll tell you one, one quick story, and then uh, I'll, I'll end it with that today. I was at my sister's funeral this past Wednesday, and uh, my sister actually amazed me. The stories I heard about her kind of amazed me. Uh, I grew up with my sister, my older sister, and she made me know that. <laughs> she has four uh, children, 
three boys and a, and a girl. They're all adults. And there was a uh, young lady, her name was Raquel, who dated her youngest daughter, not youngest son, pardon me. I'm going to get myself in all kinds of hot water there. <laughs> so her youngest son dated this girl named Raquel. And they dated for four years. And all of the family really liked Raquel. They wanted her to marry uh, the youngest son. And uh, they had high hopes for this. And one day Raquel broke his heart and uh, broke up with him. And he was devastated. And the family was really upset that, you know, she wasn't going to be their future sister-in-law and future daughter-in-law. And on top of that, they had really shown tremendous kindness to Raquel over the years. They had welcomed her as a daughter in the home. She had, uh, you know, freedom to come and go as, as she pleased. Uh, there was a time when she was actually looking to go on a missions trip to Russia, and uh, she didn't have enough money to do that. And so my sister said, you know what? Uh, my sister's husband is part of a Christian singing group. She says, I know what we're going to do. At the next concert, instead of taking a love offering for the singers, we're going to take a love offering for you. And whatever we get, we're going to give to you so you can go to Russia on this missions trip. And they paid the whole way. Did a lot of things for Raquel. And then she had the audacity to break up with that youngest son. And you know... You could be really bitter about stuff like that. You could be really upset about things like that. And then Raquel actually wandered away from the Lord, too. And uh, Raquel ended up uh, living with a guy. And uh, she and the guy had an apartment together and really just kind of gave up everything spiritual, all spiritual things. Just, you know, I don't need God in my life. So my sister and her, and her husband were involved in a small group fellowship. And one day at the small group fellowship, um, a lady shared a story about something that happened in her apartment that week. She says, you know, there's this, we live in this apartment complex, and in this apartment complex, uh, something happened down the hallway. We heard this woman scream at the top of her lungs, and it caused everybody to come outside their their rooms to see what was going on and we ran down the hallway to this room and she was uh, unconsolable. She just couldn't be consoled. And we walked in the room and there was her boyfriend hanging from the rafters uh, by his neck. And uh, they, the girl who's telling this story, she's a nurse. And she went into the room and she cut him down and she actually was able to revive him. And he lived. Raquel was the girl who was living in that apartment. It was her boyfriend. And my sister uh, said, Raquel, that's a very unusual name today. What's her last name? And they told her. And she says, that's the girl that dated my youngest son some years ago. And my sister went out of her way to befriend Raquel all over again. And Raquel was just totally messed up because of this. She was already messed up because she was wandering from the Lord anyway. And this just made it worse. And my sister embraced her and brought her into the family again and brought her into the home and really won her back to the Lord. This was um, earlier this year or late last year. I forget the timing of it now. I remember my sister writing me uh, almost daily emails saying, Don, pray for Raquel. 
This is what's happening. Pray for Raquel. This is what's happening. And I said to her husband, I said, what an amazing story. And Raquel actually was at the funeral last week on Wednesday, and she had, to me, the main part in the, in the uh, funeral or the, the, the memorial service, and she told her whole testimony before the 200, 250 people that were there and just talked about how the influence of my sister in her life that brought her back to God. And I was thinking about my sermon at the same time, and I was thinking, yeah, the works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, we don't know what those works are, but we need to have eyes that are open. We have to have ears that are open to listening to what God wants us to do on a day-by-day basis. Some of us are involved in more lives during the day than others. It doesn't matter how many people, but it's just that you live Christ before them and do whatever it takes to win them as another trophy of God's grace because that's what we're here on earth for. Those are the works that God has established for us that we should walk in, that we might bring glory to God and that one day in heaven when we stand there and we say, you know, Lord, I don't think anybody's here because of me. The Lord is going to say, come here, let's do a little walk here. I want to show you my art gallery. You see that one there? He's here because of you. See that one there? She's here because of you. And God will show you the exceeding riches of His grace. You did nothing to save them. But by doing the work of God on earth, being His hands, His feet, His eyes, His ears, His mouth, it was because of you that they're there in heaven as well. I thank God for people who listen, people who watch for ways that they can reach out and win those who are still lost. The world around us is still dead in trespasses and sins. And God has amazing grace that reaches to the lowest of the low. Because I know that because he reached me and he reached you. Let's pray. Lord, what a tremendous passage of Scripture this is that we think of what you do in the heart and life, lives of people. Lord, we think of where we were and what you did to save us. We just are amazed at your grace, Lord. But Lord, we want to have eyes that are open and ears that are open and, and feet that are quick to run to serve you in any way you call us to serve you. Lord, we want to be that mouthpiece that spokesman on earth for you. And we want, Lord, in whatever we do, to bring glory to your name through our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.